What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. I have a great treat for you guys today as I'm going to have on not one, but two guests on this podcast episode. First off, I have Patrick Sweeney, the, the football therapist, one of the best fantasy followers that I track all the time. Wow. The man knows his stuff. I really, he probably won like four or five fantasy leagues. And it's absolutely ridiculous. My friend, Patrick. Patrick, how are we doing, my man? How are you? So kind, man. So kind. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Didn't win four or five, but I got a couple of championships. I was you in did? A couple All right. How many, how many you win? How many, how many did you play in and how many did you win? Be honest. So overall, I won three championships for 10 leagues. However, I made playoffs in eight out of the 10, which is really impressive, you know? Again, it's it's very difficult to win just one fantasy championship. So always trying to do my best to help the followers out. And if you guys aren't following him yet, you need to go check out his contact ASAP. He's already working in the draft and free agents. You need to be reading his contact because he's already get, he's already ready for twenty the twenty twenty two season, and oh, yeah. we just finished the twenty twenty one season. I but, was diving deep before the Super Bowl even started. I know. You're like, ah, it's got to get back into fantasy. It's 24-7 roll, man, 365. Exactly, man. Got to do what I got to do. Well, I went one for one. Only was in one league, and I won my one league. Dude, 100%. That's excellent. That's what you want to see, man. I was playing standard, though. Do you prefer – that's what I want to jump in first. For you, personally, as with all the leagues that you and the advice you give, do you try and give standard or more PPR? What What is your preference? So a lot of the leagues I'm in are PPR formats. I do appreciate standard. However, if I were to create a league, which I am doing a dynasty league with some people, I would prefer half point PPR because it kind of has a balance between the two. Again, PPR, really good for receiving running backs. Then guys like Henry gets a little down uh, devalued. Standard, the guys who are the bruisers, the touchdown scorers are big time like Henry. But then you don't have the pass catching back like Alvin Kamara gets very devalued. So you meet in the middle, you get that half point PPR and, you know, it's a good time for everyone. Absolutely. And if you guys don't know what PPR means, it's point per reception. It really helps out the wide receivers and out of the backfield running backs in the flex position when you're playing fantasy football. It's how, how, how Pat makes his bread and butter and shows everybody what's up. But, Pat, I, it's been a couple of weeks since the Super Bowl has concluded. The Rams ended up taking down the Bengals 23-20. to 20. I want to get your overall idea of what you saw in the game and take it from there, whatever you want to talk about. Well, to start, it was an exciting Super Bowl. I think having two teams like the Rams and the Bengals where they're very closely matched due to their offensive schemes was very exciting to watch. Early on, you had some really good action. Uh, the Rams, they were driving with Odell, had that great touchdown catch. He got hurt. It was a shame. I'm not a big Odell fan, but it's a shame to watch him get hurt in the Super Bowl like that. So that was disappointing. Then you get the Bengals come in. They, they start to take control a little bit. The game slows down. That T. Higgin pass interference touchdown where he kind of ripped the face mask. Great play, obviously. Questionable call, but you can't, you know, say it wasn't exciting. And then second half, you kind of knew what was going to happen. The Rams' defensive front took over. Burrow was getting killed out there. Guy literally is on one knee at the end of the game trying to play. And then the refs get involved late, and that was just fucking bullshit to me. That one penalty. Thank you. Logan Wilson got fucking gypped. He really did. How bad was that? The The holding call on Wilson was was it was it's Wilson right? The linebacker, the linebacker on Cooper Cup. You're, we haven't had that ticky-tack call all freaking game. And that was my issue. It wasn't necessarily the call. Maybe you could call it there. But they literally only called one or two penalties that were only unsportsmanlike all game. So how can you make a call like that in the last minute and a half that pretty much decided the outcome? And again, perhaps the Rams could have won that game, you know, without that call. They obviously were gaining momentum. But right then and there, the refs took control when they shouldn't have. Overall, really good Super Bowl, a little bit more defensive-oriented, but that moment really just killed the Super Bowl for me. I agree. I think Wilson got really gypped. I mean, the next play was Eli Apple, and he tackled Cooper Cup, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. That, that, 
So that that I'm perfectly content with, but like something so ticky tack. He was gonna if he doesn't hold him, he's making the play anyway. That's what mm-hmm. you know is annoying because Stafford was forcing the ball in there. But mm-hmm. and then again, the Jalen Ramsey missed call. So you, we don't even know the game could have been over at that point anyway if Higgins doesn't score and takes the lead there. Mm-hmm. But there's so many nuances. I think the game had a little bit of everything. That's what I initially thought when it had, it had controversy, it had missed calls, it had big plays. And then it had mm-hmm. the clutch, the clutch genome of Stafford to cup all the way on that no. final drive. I just, and again, in fantasy football, we talk so much offense, but it was really Aaron Donald who to me was the MVP in that defensive line. And again, the Bengals, this is what I said going into it. Yes, they had a great year, great playoff run. I still think they were a year early. I do think that after this offseason, if they could tie up that line with this young core that we'll get into, I'm very excited for the future of this team. My man, I don't know if they're going to get back. The AFC is too loaded. AFC is I, way it, too loaded. It's deep. It's very bro. loaded, but they have the pieces. That's really what you like to see, especially at the skill position, which we'll be talking about one guy who I may be making a bold statement on. All right. All right. All right. I do want to get uh, this hot take that I provided last week. And one of my friends, he's also a fellow podcaster there. The podcast, the fourth man up. If you guys haven't go check them out, a little shout out for them, but he was ripping me on his show about, cause I said, that Odell got hurt because of Matthew Stafford. He threw the ball on his back hip. The turf, the turf played a role, without question. But if, mm-hmm. he hits, if he hits Odell in stride, he is wide open. There is no injury. Give, come on. Are you with me or are you against me on, the, on that take? I, I need somebody. No, that's, a, that's a difficult take to give. I mean, I do agree the ball was behind him. But again, there's no way to know that injury is going to happen in that instance. Just because Come Odell on. has looked so good all year on the Rams. He was the, the MVP. Run. He yeah. was the he would have been the MVP if that doesn't happen. Come on now. But really, historically, you don't really see, and this is something that I've done research on, wide receivers with their ACL injuries, they normally come back strong. We saw Cooper Cup a couple of years ago. He came back, obviously, has been amazing. Running backs is where you more have to worry. But with the wide receiver position, you don't really see guys tearing the same ACL twice. That's just really unheard of. Yeah, it's extremely unfortunate. But I also agree, Aaron Donald, 100% the MVP. I don't think it was very close. And I think they just wanted to give it to an offensive player because I don't think what well, a defensive player hasn't won, I don't think, since Von Miller did it in Super Bowl 50 with the Broncos. Mm-hmm. but ridiculous because he took all over that game in the second half. It was without question, but I agree. Great Super Bowl had a little bit of everything could have went either way. And then Pat, I know Super Bowl just happened, but you know, we're always down to talk football because you know, what's life without it. It's pretty boring. <laughs> let's be honest. Boring as hell. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sorry to NBA, NBA people. And we will be talking NBA and college basketball on this show for, for a little bit longer, but we're talking NFL for one more week and you guys can get over <laughs> it for right now, but give me something. Give me your way too early top five fantasy rankings. Come on, Pat. I know you've, I know you've got some scoops already. You said you started before even the Super Bowl was even happening. Come on, give me something. So going into this season, there were a couple guys that I was really high on that I, I lowered a little bit, which I was not happy about. First guy, number one overall pick next year, Jonathan Taylor. I think obviously after this season, the guy has the talent. He's in the right scheme. They have a great offensive line. He's going to be dominant again, in my opinion. And they he's don't the have safest a cor- They don't have a quarterback, Pat. They don't have a you don't need a quarterback. Just run him all game he's a generational talent to me and the reason why i'm putting up about at one is because he's the safest player running back right now the guys behind him are a little bit more risky like number two derrick henry love what we saw with derrick henry at the beginning of the year guy was dominating he was on a historic pace then of course he gets injured now i'm not saying he's going to get injured again but that was one of the concerns last offseason was that he had a lot of carries. He gets a lot of touches. Couldn't be getting worn down. He's already 28. But I still think, you know, he has one or two years 
of elite performance left before he kind of takes that massive dip. So I would take him at number two. Do you think, do you, all right, I'm going to stop you right there real quick. Do you think the injury will actually help him for a little bit, for a couple more years because he didn't get the workload this year because of the injury? Do you think that helps him or do you think it's going to hurt him because everybody's got to tackle him low to get him down? Well, I think it's definitely going to hurt him. I think that type of injury is more wear and tear and the tackle that he had, it was a tough tackle, of course, but that type of injury, it was a foot injury is always difficult on those bigger heavy set running backs because you're constantly pounding on your feet and you're constantly driving your legs to try to break tackles. And that's really what he does. He's the most physical running back in the game. And of course, when you have that many touches and when you have a team like the Titans who they don't really have the best quarterback, Tannehill. He's a clutch player, in my opinion, but he's not going to throw for a lot of yards. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Clutch quarterback? Did you not well, watch him in the playoffs? Pat, Pat, come he's on. He's efficient. Let me change it to efficient. He's efficient. Pat, I was ready Clutches to go. I was, far. Efficient. I, was, I was about to lose my head right there with that one. All right, yeah, I'll take efficient, but come on, man. Three interceptions in a playoff game that his defense got nine sacks. They had no business losing that game. So he's an efficient quarterback. He doesn't throw a lot. Obviously, they have A.J. Brown and an aging retirement home, Julio Jones, but they're going to run him a lot. And if you could trade him maybe halfway through the year, depending on how he's looking – He's doing well. I think he's the a prime sell high candidate for dynasty leagues, of course, and then potentially redraft leagues, depending on you know how your season's going. All right, all right. I can see the Henry one. I like that play. Who we got next? Three. We go so another running three, back, another is, running back here. So I am gonna put a running back again. I do like a lot of wide receivers this year. However, in the top five range of drafts, I'm not willing to take a receiver. As we've seen in the years past, you often see a regression from that number one overall drafted wide receiver. Devontae Adams, he had a great season, but he regressed a little bit. Year before, Michael Thomas, we all know he got hurt. So here, I'm going to take a guy in Najee Harris. Now, this is going to be a little bit of the guy that I plant my flag on early. We look at Najee last year. He's going to get volume, just like a Derrick Henry. He's going to get a lot of touches. And he's going to get a lot of work out of the passing back, too. He was highly targeted. Now, whether that was Ben or was that the Steelers' uh, offensive scheme, I don't really know because, of course, Ben, he checked it down. But if they bring in a rookie, if they bring in a veteran, then maybe I'll lower him. If they bring in a rookie who's going to potentially rely on that check down passing, I still think he could see a decent target share in this offense. Now, historically, guys who get high volume, have low uh, low efficiency, sometimes do slip. But for me, Najee Harris is just too talented, and I'd like to take a, a chance on that volume in this third pick. So is this like your big sleeper of the year right now? Is this like the big one that you're, you have your highest upside on? Because I know they have no offensive line at all. Right now, but yes, but it's going to change, especially if one thing happens in free agency. There's what's, a guy I have that? ranked near the more near the uh, nine ten spot, and that's Javante Williams. I actually think Javante Williams is a better running back than Najee Harris after watching his previous year. He had the most broken tackles in the NFL. But of course, the big question is, are they going to re-sign Melvin Gordon? They don't re-sign him, and he's the lone back. If he could get that bell cow touches, I think he'll be a top five running back easily. If they do resign Melvin Gordon, of course, that's going to limit his stealing. He's not going to get as much work. It'd probably be a 60-40 split because Melvin Gordon's a guy that has been effective as a runner. Obviously, you're going to have him dip probably into the 10 to 12 range of running backs. Okay, okay. Who's in, what we got next? We going more running backs here? Two more running backs for four and five? So four, I'm going running back. Five, I'm going wide receiver. Okay. okay. So the guy at four, this is someone who's a little bit more riskier, but there's no denying that in fantasy football, sometimes you have to trace that elite produ- production. And that's Christian McCaffrey. 
Two years ago, on a points-per-game basis, he actually would have outscored Jonathan Taylor this year by an average of three to four points a game. And that, that may not seem like a lot, but in terms of championship football, he's the guy who has that elite uh, number one overall ceiling by far. He could get you to that 30 points per game mark. Now, again, like I said, he's very risky in the he's fact fragile, that he's fragile, man. He can't yeah, stay on the fragile. field. But all of his injuries have been different injuries. It's not like he's re-injuring the same body part. He's had four different injuries. So while, yes, he seems fragile, I do think that if you're willing to take him, not necessarily at four where I would, but a little farther back where he'll probably be drafted because a lot of people are discounting him. They're saying he's washed. You could probably get him in the late first of your drafts based on early data and have a guy who could finish as the number one running back if healthy. Yeah, but Pat, do you? I like McCaffrey a lot. I really do. But for me, you just how can you take him when you know you might only get four good, four to six potentially good weeks really out of him? He is so heavy in the Carolina offense's success. Mm-hmm is that it is McCaffrey or bust for the Panthers, and they have to get him at least 25 touches minimum mm-hmm. just for – so you know he's going to get his touches on his good fantasy days. Mm-hmm. But the, there's so much risk there. How do you combat that as a, as a fantasy owner? Well, and speaking about running backs, just in general, and this is why I think for the future, I think it's going to be more beneficial to go wide receiver heavy in drafts outside of getting a number one guy, a lot of running backs get hurt. We saw like eight guys drafted in the first two rounds get hurt last year. I mean, there was Derrick Henry, McCaffrey, obviously. Eckler missed a game or two. Cook has always missed some time. Alvin Kamara, he missed some time here and there the previous year. Of course, his situation now is obviously a little bit worse with everything going on. Chubb missed some time. Dobbins had an ACL injury. Zeke was banged up. Every running back at one point or another will probably get an injury here or there, depending on the level of risk. Yes, but that's a chance I'm willing to take. I mean, if you get Christian McCaffrey six or seven 30 point games and then he has a few subpar 20 games, if you could get him on the field, um, I see it no different than a guy maybe like Nick Chubb, who you get for 12 games, but has a lower ceiling. All right. All right. I, I like the argument. I like the argument. I, For me personally, I'll probably pass on McCaffrey, but mm-hmm. I'm also hoping I'll have the number one pick anyway. But, you know, I'm selfish like that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, So who rounds it out? You said you're going to go wide receiver as your fifth option. Who do we got? So I'm going Justin Jefferson this year. I like that. First two seasons like of it. his career. Guy has been productive. Obviously, down the stretch last year, they had a little quarterback uh, issue with Kirk Cousins getting the COVID. So he had one or two poor performances there at the end. But overall, he was very consistent. He's going to get the volume. He's good for probably nine to 10 targets a game. Uh, We saw on a points per game basis, he was a top five wide receiver the last two seasons when he started all the games his rookie year he obviously missed the first two games ain't really playing before getting him in then he exploded so to me he's a guy I'm looking to draft in the first round the middle to the end just based on volume alone and I think that talent wise he could just keep getting better especially with Adam Thielen getting up in age Uh, we saw him get a little banged up last year maybe he's not 100 percent Kirk Cousins will probably be there if Cousins is there you know he's going to get the looks so Justin Jefferson will round out my top five so far this early off season. Not bad, not bad. Do you think now, learning? I got a, a new... question for you. Okay, so lay who it is on your me. early season breakout prediction? Who's the guy that you're looking to target? I know it's very early, but if there's one guy who you want early on, who is it? Wow, for me, I think. I'm actually going to go. I don't think he's going to be a first or a second round, but I think you can really look at him in the third, right? George Kittle, tight end out of San Francisco. He had a really down year, and I think part of it was the Jimmy G injury. He was also hurt in and out of the lineup. Didn't get the consistent amount of targets, but you saw that really late in the season that they were Mm -hmm. finally working him really well into the system. But another guy 
Speaking of, you can also go with his counterpart, Debo Samuel. I'm really high on those two 49ers. Because Debo, you can, he can hurt you out of the backfield, especially in a PPR league. He's going to rack up receptions like no tomorrow on the screen game, slant game. Same with Kittle, the, the inner hash of the field. I know Garoppolo won't be there. He'll probably have Trey Lancer. You know, if all hell breaks loose, Aaron Rodgers will be there. That's all Niners fans are hoping for as I'm working in the Bay Area right now and we're having this show. But I think I, I really like those two Niners right now. I'd probably lean personally – Kittle more because I think for a rookie quarterback, you really need to find that one person that you need to work the field with. And Mark mm-hmm. Andrews, you've seen that succession Baltimore with uh, Lamar. So I th- really like George Kittle. What do you think of that take? Now I'm happy you said that because last year I came Talk on to me. Nice. <laughs> I came on your, po- I, I love Kittle. I love Debo, but like you said, last year I came on your show And the one guy I was hyping up was Trey Lance. Now, in order to make those two predictions work, those guys blow up. You need a Trey Lance great year. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Trying to plug yourself a year too late. You're a year too late, Pat. You were too early on it. (laughs) Well, I knew, depending on where he got drafted, I mean, I was not expecting San Fran to be the team to land him. But he was probably going to have to develop, like I said. Now he's developed. He looked decent in the two games that he played. The Houston game, he looked a little bit better. He has that rushing upside. So for those listening, my number one drafted quarterback for the 2022 fantasy football season is going to be Trey Lance just because of his ceiling and you're because of the joking. weapons that your host you has your said with George Kittle and Debo. You draft Trey Lance and you win leagues next year. Pat. You're the football therapist, and that was way too hot of a hot take. You're supposed to be keeping Mr. us calm and making sure that we're making the correct decisions, smart moves. Hey, you have us trying to take Trey Lance as the first quarterback off the board? Oh, not off the board. The number one drafted quarterback that I will be having on my teams. Not off the board. He will be on almost all my fantasy teams. That's so what you're I'm saying. Gonna, so, okay, so you're going to pass on every other quarterback, though, and make sure it's Lance. Yeah, well, obviously, I'm not going to take Lance like in the third round, but I'm going to pass on some of the early guys, and then I'm going to take Trey Lance. Last year, football therapist on my page, I said draft Jalen Hurts in fantasy football. I said draft Justin Herbert in fantasy football. I said Tom Brady, three great quarterbacks. And then I did say Lamar, who was having a good season before he had whatever was going on with Lamar. But Trey Lance rushing upside, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Blaine's guys, 49ers, rack them in, rack them in. Lock in the 49ers. We might as well start drafting everybody out of the Niners, getting Elijah Mitchell, everybody. Just make it a Niners-based football team at that point for fantasy. Honestly, Not Brandon the- Ayuk, though. <laughs> <laughs> Leave Ayuk off. All right, all right, Pat. So we've talked about a little bit of fantasy now, but I know you're a big draft guy. You do all your research on the NFL draft. Give me a a couple of things that you're really trying to see and you're looking at in regards to this draft class. Well, to start, this is a very tough draft class because, one, the quarterback potential isn't as high as we've seen. It's lower. Whenever you have a quarterback class that's down – I think it's going to be very wild in terms of where some of these players are going to be picked. I do think at the top, Evan Neal, offensive tackle, he's going to probably go in the top three picks. I actually am going to be releasing my mock draft 1.0 next week. So Evan Neal. You see that plug? We set him up a plug right there. Mock draft 1.0 from the football therapist next week. Be on the lookout. But yeah, so to me, Evan Neal right now is going to be the number one pick off the board just because the tackle class at the top one, he, to me, he's an elite prospect. He's great at pass blocking, rush blocking, and the Jaguars really could use a guy to really protect Lawrence, but also the edge class is a little bit deeper to me than the tackle class. So when you have that position scarcity, if you're the Jaguars, yes, Aiden Hutchinson will probably be up there. Um, Kyle Hamilton, the, the safety, I, I like him, but again, he's a luxury pick. Kayvon Thibodeau, 
he was a guy I was very high on, but a lot of the reports I'm reading are have him kind of slipping a little bit, which again, when you're a mock drafting, the interesting thing is it can't always be about what you think sometimes. It has to be what you're going to project and based on team news. So Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy who may slip for whatever reason. Again, I'm high on him, but I hear the reports. And how then far, Charles how, how Cross far? is another guy who I'm kind of high on the tackle. So it's a very edge and tackle heavy at the top. But again, the edge isn't as deep. So these tackles, I think, are going to fly off the board. How do you, far t- do you think Thibodeau is going to fall? Do you think he's just going to fall to pass like the number three pick? And, or, is that, or, or does, is that substantial falling like into the late? I think the farthest he'll, he's going to fall based on what I'm seeing is pick seven, which is the Giants' second pick. Okay. I don't think he gets past two Giants picks because, again, they need a lot of edge help. But I've seen him potentially fall into that five to seven range. Hmm. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And why do you – I know Hutchinson, everyone wants him as the number one pick. Why, why would you say tackle over Hutchinson right now for Jacksonville? Well, Again, I think it goes back to position scarcity. I mean, the tackle class really after the top three guys, there's really no plug and play guys who could really, really be a starter. There's a lot of developmental guys. Whereas the edge class, you have a little deeper of a class. I'd say there's probably six to eight guys who could potentially be solid edge rushers in this draft class. Again, with Jacksonville, it comes down to, yes, you have a lot of holes, obviously, but what do you need to do for your franchise quarterback who really took a beating last year? I think they got a kind of boost to the offensive line. And I know that one of their tackles, I can't think of his name right now, is going to be a free agent. I don't think that they can retain him. I wish I knew the name off the top of my head, but I, I uh, you know, yeah, write it down, Sidney. No, you're good. You're good. That's really intriguing because I everyone I thought Jacksonville would just go best available. I think they're actually going to try and trade out and try personally, maybe try and mm-hmm. swap and move down to four or five, and then they could get one of those tackles like you mentioned and try and get one more like pick. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think it's really intriguing. But I know everything rides or dies with the quarterback position. Where do you think a quarterback is going to potentially go off the board first? I don't have a quarterback in the top ten in my opinion. So to me, it all depends on what Denver does this offseason. I think if Denver tries to pursue a veteran quarterback, you're not going to see a quarterback in the top 10. Right now, I do have Kenny Pickett as my number one quarterback going to Denver at pick nine. Um, Right there is probably the sweet spot for the, the teams to start either trading up or to try to look for a quarterback. Of course, you have your Washington Commanders, two picks behind. I have it all depends on what these teams want to do in terms of these veterans, because there could be a couple guys on the move and what they want to do in terms of either trading up or trading back. Because, like we said earlier, this quarterback class is a little bit of a step down from recent years. Please, please don't tell me we're taking a quarterback. I don't, I can't go through another one. Really, please. <laughs> What are your thoughts on the name? You like the Commanders? I the name has grown on me. I'm gonna be completely honest. It's grown on me. It's it's a work in progress. When I first heard it, I was like, eh. But then it's a lot of of the. If you really look at it in a deep dive, it's mostly the Washington Football Team stuff. We didn't really change much. We just added Commanders on the Mm -hmm. uniform, so the uniform still looks pretty good. I like where they took it with all that stuff. Didn't. They changed up the logo a little bit, but pretty much kept the original Washington football team logo. So I'm content. I'm good with it, but we're not going to be happy until we start winning. And right now we're a long way away from that. I mean, we're in the NFC least, so you mm-hmm. never know on a year to year basis, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it, but please no quarterback. We need a corner. I, we got to go DB. We need a DB. Huh? Who would you like to get? I mean, really want Stingley, but he won't be that far. He won't be there. I don't know. Again, he's another player just because of the injuries uh, that I'm reading about may slip a little. I don't know. I would love that. Slip, slip. Because that man is locked down when he's on the field. When he's He's on the field, he's quarterback one, though, in this class. Who? Who's your one then? Who's I like Ahmad Gardner better. Oh, my God. The dude out of Cincinnati? He's very talented. He could stay healthy. 
Guy has been uh, a shutdown corner since entering the league as well, but you don't really hear much about him because he's on Cincinnati. This year, he's risen up boards. I do think he's going to fall into that 8-10 to 10 range, just like Stingley. I do think Stingley, when healthy, like you said, he'll, he'll be the better cornerback, but can he stay healthy? I don't know. That's why I have Gardner as my cornerback one. Okay, that's fair. Health plays a huge role, but off. I would love to have some Derek Stingley in Washington right now. That's what I want. We got to go DB. Makes you feel better. I have him going pick 10 to the Jets. That doesn't make me feel better. That means I'm the first loser, Pat. Come on now. That's 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 rude. That is cruel and unusual punishment, Pat. <laughs> had to do it, you know. Who do, who do you have us taking then? Malik Willis, the quarterback. Oh, my God. Pat, Pat, why you do, why? This come was on, a tough man. one, though. Your pick was very tough. Oh, come on. Quarterback? Yes. I, I mean, Malik, Malik Willis is a project. Don't get me wrong. He is a project. He will not play right away. He's no. got a ton of upset out of the entire class mm-hmm. that we have out of the QB class, but come on now. He's, we can't, we need a QB now. We've no, got, that's, the, that's we the have thing. the, we have the pieces to now. Me, there's only one quarterback in this class that could be pro ready. And that's Kenny Pickett. And that's why pick, he went to Denver. I don't want a rookie though. I don't want a rookie. I need a veteran. Want Mitch Trubisky? I hear he's a free agent. Uh, hey man he's better than what we had no offense to taylor heineke he performed admirably but he is a backup in this league he is a backup last year you were on point he is a backup quarterback you can see it i if man there's trubisky there's i'm really hoping that we jimmy g you want to trade for jimmy g Might have to. No, I was re- I was reading this thing today that Fitzmagic's gonna come back, and I was just like, "Oh Lord, yeah. I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do that. Can't do it." What about you? Sure. What about your Patriots? What are you looking for? So I actually, to me, I either want a cornerback or a wide receiver. So uh, J.C. Jackson, he's a free agent. I don't know if we're gonna be no, able to retain come him. Come on, you gotta pay him. We got. I want to pay him, but again, Bill Belichick. You never know what you're going to get with him because he has a history of letting those type of guys go. Um, I do think he's worth the money, but I don't know if he'll give him the money. So hopefully, I mean, I don't think any of those two guys we talked about earlier will fall. I do like a Trent McDuffie out of Washington. He's a little smaller cornerback, but he's very physical. And then obviously, if we go wide receiver, I want my wide receiver one. Traylon Burks, who I think is going to be elite at the next level, but we will just see where he falls. New England can't get a wide receiver right ever. No, we can't. That's why we brought in all wide receiver twos and threes from other teams. That's Bill's problem. That's his weak spot. He can't get a wide receiver right. Nope. Hopefully, we got the quarterback right. That's all that comes down I, to. I yeah. think. I think. I think we've got Max and the one place to be successful and i think that's new England. Um, the only thing i'm worried about though no mcdaniels now how does that change the system that's very true that's very true that'll be really intriguing to see but pat before i let you go there was a major announcement today with the xfl and nfl joining forces the xfl is going to be more of like a petri dish of football mm-hmm. innovation of like being like the test runner of how the NFL is going to potentially do with safety rules and stuff like that. Innovation changes. What do you think of this partnership? Is it going to work? I personally don't think it's going to work because the XFL is on its third attempt of just trying to be a football league. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you see in this? Well, again, being that this XFL is coming to its third wave, there's a lot of uncertainty on whether or not it can be a longevity program. But I also don't know if you can really have the rules work for the XFL and then translate it to the NFL game. Let's be real. If you can't make it in the NFL, I'm not saying this in a mean way, and you're playing in the XFL, what makes you think you can play up to game speed? What makes you think that you can be that guy? Yes, we have seen guys you know, do well in those smaller leagues. Um, we have seen guys get opportunities in the NFL. But again, it's very difficult to try to translate that game speed to the NFL game speed. 
And depending on how those rules work out, it may work for the XFL because it's a smaller league, but it may not work for the NFL in a bigger league. Yeah, I agree. I see a lot of question marks in this agreement. For me, I know it's just going to, like, if these players are going to play and they're going to play in a completely different style, how does that help them to try and reach their dream of playing in the NFL? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that potentially hurt, hinder them or, and hurt them that they're playing on a under a completely different style of play, potentially rules changes. If there's going to be like mm -hmm. onside mm -hmm. kicks, like I know there was that fourth down rule instead of doing mm -hmm. an onside kick fourth and 15 or something. I don't know if it was oh. a year or two ago, but I, I don't know if it's going to really happy work. That you brought that up though, because I was looking at it from the NFL standpoint and you're looking at more of the XFL and that's something to take into consideration too. Like you said, if they're playing with different rules, how do they get that shot? How do they be able to translate their game to the NFL? So we got to look at it from both sides. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be really intriguing to see again, the XFL is going to try and debut not in 2022, spring of 2023 is when they're going to try. And we know they're going to try and fill that void of no football from February to August. So, well, I mean, it's not going to be that long, but it'll be like probably March to May or April, May potentially, I think, right? I think around that time frame. But right. I think it'll be – in void. We'll, we just keep going. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Pat, where can they catch out your content and reach out to you and give you a follow for all of your stuff? Yeah. So again, I'm on Instagram at the football therapist. I am going to be starting up my podcast again. I took a break from it, but I'm trying to get back on YouTube. So you could follow me at the football therapist there. And of course, everyone, you know, give Blaine a follow. The guy works hard. Love coming on this show. This is my second or third time now. And I look forward to being invited back because it's a lot of fun and I appreciate all you do. Hey, man, you're always more than welcome to come back on the final whistle. Always a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much. When we yeah. come back, everybody, we're going to have Matt Bajinski from the College Basketball Review. And we're going to be talking about some controversy that took place this weekend between Michigan and Wisconsin. Be ready. You're not going to want to miss it. And we are back into the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Hope everyone's still enjoying their day. I have a new guest here on, for the second half of our show. I have College Basketball Review founder, Matt Majinski. Matt, how are we doing? Thank you so much for taking some time. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, this is my favorite time of the year, so I'm doing great. Awesome. And if you guys haven't yet, I was actually on the College Basketball Review last week. We did a little bit of a Seton Hall UConn fundraiser event, and they did it without a hitch. I was fortunate enough to get 10 minutes of onto the show, and it was a great setup. They did it for a great cause, raising money for cancer. Matt, how did that event end up going for the rest of the way for you guys? No, that, that, was, that was an awesome event. I mean, honestly, from top to bottom, you know, I set that up like two days before I was just like, I had an idea before. And then I'm like, I got to get on this, hop on this and get some, uh, some guests on. And obviously, uh, you know, you were, you were the halftime guest and that was perfect. Cause, uh, we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately it didn't go our way as we are Seton Hall alums. And as we predicted on the halftime show that we thought UConn was going to pull away basically. And they did coming out victorious there, but Matt, I really needed to get you on the show especially after what transpired this past weekend, especially the altercation that took place in Madison, Wisconsin, between Jawan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines, as well as with Greg Gard of the Wisconsin Badgers. If you guys haven't seen it yet, it's pretty much been trending all over, in the, especially in the college basketball landscape. Uh, controversial with Greg Gard calling a timeout late. Jawan Howard was not pleased with that decision. Uh, let him hear it, was attempting to do more of a blow-by, and Greg Gard did end up trying to stop to explain himself, and then everything kind of unfolded and blew up like a wildfire. And the we just recently, in the past hour, as we're actually doing this show, the verdict was released. Jawan Howard has been suspended for the final five games of the regular season, also being fined $40,000. Greg Gard was not suspended at all, and he only received a $10,000 fine while the assistant that ended up being uh, hit by Howard, Joe Krabenhoff, 
has is looks like is going to receive no punishment whatsoever. Matt, did they get this right? And what ended up transpiring in your eyes as you were going through this? Yeah, um, I think that they got it right with Jawan Howard. I'm just surprised that they got it right. I, I feel like most everyone thought that Jawan Howard should be suspended for the remainder of the regular season, obviously the five games um, and the fine on top of it. I just feel like everyone still is sort of a bit surprised because very, uh, very rare in college basketball, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's teams doing their own punishments, do they get it right? Um, I thought that they got it right. I would say that from the opposite standpoint, I think that Greg Gard still deserved maybe at least one game suspension because um, he still had a big play in that, uh, you know, whether or not his intention was, was good, which I think explaining himself in that situation was, he still acted, you know, sort of hostile towards Jawan Howard. So I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get suspended for at least a game. But I mean, let's be real. Something like what happened, um, on Sunday, it didn't just have to be Jawan Howard to make that viral. If there was any coach in college basketball that did that in the handshake line, it would be going viral and we'd be talking about it. We're obviously talking about it more because it's Michigan and Jawan Howard, but given all of that, we would have seen this no matter what. And, and because we did, it's probably the craziest thing I've ever seen. At least this year, I'd have to go back to the tape and see if something like this has happened in the past with a coach. But, I mean, that's pretty nuts. So, yeah, they got it right. Yeah, I completely agree. Howard deserved to be fine the, re the rest of the regular season, especially at an institution where you're leading young college athletes, student athletes, that they needed to – unfortunately, Howard needed to be an example there. I completely agree that Greg Gard should have gotten at least a game. And I think the assistant probably should have gotten a fine as well because he also got into – Howard's face that ended up leading into more of that altercation blowing up as it transpired. But do you, I want to get your take on this because I personally feel like I get it. He has backups and he wanted to reset the 10 second shot clock on the, on the press. Is that really that big of a deal here that why he called a timeout is I think it should just be bygones be bygones. I get it. You didn't want, it was two timeouts in the final minute, not just the one that was taken with 15 seconds left. But do you do you think this was a altercation that should even transpire? Because I think they should have just let it go. They were getting blown out. Yeah, yeah. On one side, you know, you're getting blown out. So for Jawan Howard to be pressing in that situation, there, there's really no point. I mean, there's 16 seconds left in the game. What's the point? If you're Wisconsin, again, on one hand, I can see, okay, you don't want your players to be, um, you know, sort of embarrassed. I mean, you got the backups in there, something – Kind of embarrassing could happen but at the same time these are scholarship athletes walk-ons whatever they may be um that are in the game for a reason so they, in that point like do they really need the timeout or, or like do you not trust them to get the ball over half court and like you said if they didn't get it over half court it literally doesn't matter at all i, I doubt they're going to care too too much so it seemed honestly from both sides childish and something tells me that there's more behind the scenes that Greg Gard and Jawan Howard probably didn't like each other coming into this game because uh, just the way that everything was handled, I have a feeling that, you know, there might be something else going on behind the scenes uh, between these two. They're two really passionate coaches. We saw that in the handshake line um, that, you know, that doesn't, that kind of explains itself. Um, but obviously it got out of hand, but, I don't know. I just think there's something else behind the scenes and it's going to be uh, interesting to see if they meet in the, in the conference tournament. Because yeah, that's what I want now. Now we got to see it. That's <laughs> what we want now. Just create a college basketball narrative that to see them in the conference tournament. Cause I don't even think there will be a line. They're just both going to turn around and walk away. They won't even engage <laughs> with one another whatsoever. So I think that will be fascinating in and of itself, especially if, Michigan's potentially winning. Does he do the exact same thing that guard did just to push the feathers a little bit more, rough it up. But I know there was with Howard, this is not the first time he's gotten into it with a coach. It's also happened between Mark Turgeon and Maryland. That was actually in the big 10 uh, tournament. Matt, do you, is this something repetitive? I think Joan's a great coach and he brings an NBA style and an NBA mindset to Michigan. But is, is there now, it's, this is not a 
coincidence anymore as this ha- has happened been twice now for him. Yeah, that's a little bit uh, unnerving because you wonder like, okay, it, does Juwan Howard actually have a little bit of an anger problem or is he just trying to be the bully of the Big Ten because he's the former NBA player? Uh, you know, he, he's the six seven, six eight guy there that he knows that no one's going to mess with him, sort of like Patrick Ewing in the Big East, although Patrick Ewing would never pull anything like that. That's the difference. And Georgetown's um, not very good enough to be able to have that kind of pull. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true, too. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's honestly the point right there. Uh, the fact that Michigan, you know, tensions are probably high. He sees that this team should have been uh, should have been a tournament team. I, for one, I'll put it out there on the record. I didn't think that they'd be a top 10 team like a lot of people thought they'd be this season. I did think they'd still probably be a 5, 6, 7 seed. Um, I thought they were a little overrated coming into the season. But that's besides the point. This is still a tournament team, and, and they folded as much as anyone did in the country. Do you think that they have an opportunity to still sneak their way in, or do you think their their season's pretty much kaput now with Howard out these last five games? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm pulling up their schedule right now. I mean, you got Rutgers, Illinois, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio State. So, so he could I'm, easily I'm, lose four or five there, and it's over. Yeah, I mean, gosh – I said it on, on Instagram live earlier. I said, this team probably needs to win four games uh, out of their next five. Maybe they could get away with three since that's such a tough schedule, but then they'd probably still have to advance in the conference tournament, at least significantly, or, or beat another good team there. And even then, I mean, they're already what 14 and 12, like that's not a good record. Um, I mean, I don't think it's over yet, but losing Howard, it's certainly at this point, the team probably just feels so much pressure. All the eyes are on them, and it's it's unneeded, really. It didn't need to become that. Yeah, and they've lost two forwards for a game as well. They lose Terrence Williams and Moose uh, Diabete. I don't know how to say his last name. Diabete. 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 I don't know. I'm going to botch it. I'm going to continue to botch it, but we're just going to say that here nor there. But um, So I think that's also a part that has to be played, too, is that the players also got involved. And I think that was the issue. The benches couldn't do enough to separate it. And it didn't look like they were really trying to separate it though. Either they were just letting it, once it started to unfold and chaos ensued, they pretty much just let it all play itself out until they saw a little bit of people starting to slowly back away. But I want to get your take here on the Wisconsin side of it, where how does this impact the Badgers? Is this going to be a rallying cry for this team now? They are a top 20 program at the moment, have a very legit shot in the Big Ten tournament, as well as a potential Sweet 16 run in the NCAA. What do you see from this Wisconsin uh, Badger side? Yeah, I think that maybe it doesn't affect them as much. Obviously, they get their coach back. You know, I mean, I think if you're Wisconsin, you just got to move on, and they obviously have the perfect uh, – guy and Brad Davison to rally the team together and make sure that this doesn't get out of hand. Uh, there's not many players like him in the country that have been through almost everything. Um, so given that he'll be able to make sure that this doesn't unravel and that, and that all the emotions are in check from here on out. Um, and Wisconsin's still playing for a lot. I mean, not only they're playing for the NCAA tournament, I mean, they can still uh, certainly get a top four seed. They could probably even get as high as a two seed if they really finish the season strong. So I, you know, and who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe even the one seed's still there. I mean, they're right near the wow, top. Wow, that's, that's, that's that might be a little bit of stretch, Matty Brackets. Come on now. Would you put <laughs> would you put them out as a one? Would you put them as a one if they ended up running the table, though? I wouldn't, and I know that the uh, or if they end up running the table, I I might have to. I mean, at that point, they're probably going to be all the way up to number four in the country or something like that. I mean. Gosh, it's tough because the odds of that happening are so low. And that's probably why I would, because if they actually did that and then, you know, go in eight, nine straight or however many it is. I mean, at that point, you're looking at a Wisconsin team that's like, what, 28 and five or something. And you're like, well, that'd be tough not to. But is it going to happen? Probably not. Probably not. Speaking of which, you are known as Matty Bra- Matt, Brackets when it comes to the college basketball review, as you do your version of Bracketology for them. Talk to me. What? Please tell me. As I love Joe Lenardi. He's been on my show, but he ripped my heart out when I looked at his thing this week as he put Notre Dame and Seton Hall in the 8-9 game against each other. Like, how am I supposed to root for that? 
please tell me that at least that's not happening in your bracket right now. That is not happening. I have Notre Dame playing Iowa. I have Seton Hall playing LSU. So you have no worries about that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated as a fan perspective. But from your bracket right now, what has been the biggest thing that you've been really keeping your eye on? What's been the biggest adjustment that you've had to make, especially and then on what's how's your bubble look like at the moment? Yeah, yeah. And before I get into that, I do want to give a quick shout out to a man that we both know, Joseph Binder from Seton Hall. He is the founder of the Natty Brackets. I didn't even come up with it. That's all him. So (laughs) Joe coming in clutch with Joe Binder. He's a Houston (laughs) Cougar, and they've got a great basketball team down there. So shout out to him. Yeah, that's for sure. But um, getting back into it, um, you know, I guess I'll start with the bubble, like you said. I mean, I think it's one of the weakest bubbles that we've seen in, in past years. I mean, you still have Virginia Tech sort of uh, kind of right there on the bubble. And they're 16 and 11 and 8 and 8 in, in conference in the ACC, which is not a good conference at all. Um, I mean, at, at this point, like I don't well, Notre see. D- I'm a Notre Dame fan and we're the two, right now we're the second best team in the ACC. And that's saying something. And there's a large gap between us between Duke and everybody else. And we're the two right now. So that's just says in of itself. Yeah, no, that's the whole ACC as a whole this season. And because of that teams like from the mountain West and the West coast conference actually have a shot. Uh, the mountain West, I think could get up to four teams in um, the, the West coast conference could maybe get three, although San Francisco is starting to slide actually BYU uh, is sort of there as well, but they'd have to go on much more of a run. They did have a non-conference that was, I thought a little bit better than San Francisco's. Um, but you look at all that and you see this bubble, it's weird because in the past you could be a bubble team right now and you might still need like two or three really, really big wins. I think right now, if you're a bubble team and you knock off a top 15 team, uh, in these last, what is it? Two weeks of the regular season, that might be enough to realistically slide you in because there's just not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot separating these teams. So you don't need as much to, to push you above the next team ahead of you. It's really easy to climb five or six spots. Um, up the bubble with just one good win. Yeah. And do you just think in your opinion, is that because of how weak it looks like college basketball and how level the playing field it is in comparison to how the bigger conferences aren't as deep this year. And you've starting to see a couple more, as like you said, mountain West could get four. I have three right now for the mountain West. And then I have three from the WCC. But does that does, does that play a huge role? Is that it's not as deep this year at the top? I, th- I think so. And I think when you look at these mid-majors, it's probably the latest into the season that I've seen so many mid-majors that are in contention to. So obviously when you look at bracketology, uh, typically seeds 13 through 16 are always going to be mid-majors. Uh, there was like the one year that Georgia went out and won the SEC with like an under 500 record and, and they were like yeah. a 14 seed. But, you know, that doesn't really happen. Uh Normally, you know, you maybe have a couple teams. I don't really count the A-10 or the Mountain West uh, because every year the winner of the A-10 or the Mountain West will be far above that uh, that 12 seed line. They'll, they'll be a, at least a 10 or a 9, if not higher. Um, but this year, there's so many teams that could be above. You've got New Mexico State that's 22-4. and four. Uh, You've got Iona that's 21-5. and five. Wagner only has three losses. Uh, Toledo and Vermont are both on a roll. Like, they're still right there. And then South Dakota State is 25 and four and 16 and 0 in conference. Uh, that's not even mentioning Murray State, who I think at this point we've all realized that Murray State is going to get a really, really good seed in, in this. Uh, and even if conference. they lose, they're a lock to get in, which takes a team off of the bubble there, too. It does. And, and they could, I mean, that's a good enough conference where they could uh, drop a game in the conference tournament. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't, obviously, you don't think it's going to happen, yeah. but. Uh, you know, they're not running past like Wagner is in the, in the Northeast Conference. Uh, Murray State's got a little bit more competition, um, especially with Belmont. So for that reason, you got all these big mid-major mid, mid teams. And on the bubble, you got these power conference teams with so many losses. And like you said, the power conferences aren't holding as much weight this year. So it's a little bit tougher, I think. In the past, you know, you could have 10-11 losses in the ACC and be fine, but because it's so weak and the mid-majors uh, conferences are, are so much better, it's a little bit tougher for these power conference teams. Yeah, and from what I've watched this year, especially of late, it's that that the 
the power conferences, the teams are so much more level and you're seeing those bottom teams get those wins that they usually don't get at the beating teams at the top. Like, again, I'm going to use Notre Dame as an example because I watch Notre Dame all the time. Notre Dame lost to Boston College in their opening game by t- over double digits. Like, they got routed. And then you have, again, you've seen Virginia lose a couple games. You've seen Virginia Tech as well. They've lost a couple games, but they have also won a couple of big games. There's so much uh, parity, I think, this year in college basketball. It's going to make the tournament that much more entertaining, especially when you're looking at a perspective of, like, oh, we're going to have the same amount of – power five teams but i think not you're gonna see a lot of lower mid-major squads really represented well this year yeah i i totally agree uh man the parody that's the biggest thing about uh this bracketology and like you said the tournament as a whole although fingers crossed i still even though upsets are fun i like to at least see the 15 and 16 seeds wait a year or two um, obviously we've only had the one 16 one, but it, it seems like that's going to become more apparent, at least uh, closer calls in the past. But for me, it's, it's still entertaining when, when those are still in rare form where, okay, we haven't had a 15 seed beat a two in, in five years. When's that going to happen again? I think that, uh, the tournament, it wouldn't get boring, but it would almost be too much parody if every single year you see a 15 seed advancing. Cause you know, you like that because it, it's sort of a special thing that doesn't happen as often. Uh, but it just seems that that's the way that it's going because some of these mid-major teams are are becoming better. And I think it all surrounds around the point that uh, all these teams can shoot the three now, like they uh, weren't able to before. So it's so easy for these mid-majors to, doesn't matter who they're playing. They hit 13, 14 threes in a game and they can roll off a win against. But I think that's also an issue of potentially the committees under seating some of these squads. I mean, oral oral Roberts, that is usually is the 15 that made the most recent run, of course, but their non-conference. Yeah. They had a rough schedule. So I think they were seated correctly, but I think their chat, the, these mid majors are really starting to challenge themselves in their non-conference a little bit more. And you could see from oral Roberts, like if they didn't play those massive non-conference games where they were competitive or getting blown out, they wouldn't even have thought that they could have competed in the tournament. So I think, they're actually going out of their way, trying to schedule these games for the players. And, he, and they're using them more as learning experiences, not just as a, all right, let's go go out there, get beat by 30, take our paycheck and walk away. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I also think that uh, this year could be a little bit different because we're finally going to have full crowds back in. Uh, obviously that wasn't the case last year and the year before uh, nothing was the case. So um, for the first time in what three years, then we're going to have actual full capacity crowds that might make a difference. I know that a lot of times uh, crowds might rally behind the mid-major team if they if they don't uh, really care who wins the game, like like the fans from the other teams that are still there. But because they'll have these full crowds, uh, the ones in the twos and the threes and the four seeds that have the preference of location will that'll matter. Uh, they'll have uh, the support behind them. So. Uh, that could make a play as well. It'll be harder for those mid-majors to continue some runs in, uh, during the course of games. Yeah, I'm hopeful I can end up at the Chase Center this year for the Sweet 16. That's the goal for me on for the because the West is going to be in the Golden State Bay Area, baby. We love to see yeah. that. <laughs> That's, man, I, I think I'm going to travel for the first year in a couple of years. I'm not really uh, looking at credentials right now. I'm looking to probably travel where Seton Hall goes and maybe – uh, get a credential where Seton Hall goes. Okay. But, uh, you know, the tournament's in Buffalo this year, and I'm not even like, I'm kind of like, I'd rather see Seton Hall and go where they go. Maybe they'll get a uh, San Diego or something like that. There you go. That'd be a nice little excursion out for you and get some sunshine. And San Diego's beautiful, one of the most beautiful spots on in the United States. But Matt, let's look at the top of the, uh, the top of the, your top four now. Right now, do you have Gonzaga as your overall number one? And Auburn's starting to slide a little bit. Are you starting to see some worrisome out of them in the SEC? Yeah, I tried to go as close uh, to the selection committees, uh, what they released on Saturday, because I I said that, okay, all these teams have really only had one game since then. There's probably not going to be a lot of movement. But I did see uh, putting Gonzaga back to the overall number one was movement because of the reason that Auburn has been sliding. That obviously isn't the first game that they've lost in in, in recent games. It's been two straight against uh, two teams that likely could be first-round exits. So Arkansas could get one win in the tournament. Florida, they're still battling for a spot. So 
that doesn't look great if you're Auburn, um, but they could retake it just as easy. I think Arizona could retake the top overall seed. Uh, they're certainly still in play. Um, even Kansas and whoever wins the uh, the Big Ten can, even Kentucky can take over the top overall seed. I think that if any of these teams really went on like a huge run, uh, it's right there for the taking for, for any of those, what did I list off, six or seven teams. Yeah, I think it's really intriguing. Again, like you said, there's so much fluctuation this year. And right now, I just want to, I want to give you, I want to, I'm going to throw you on the spot. I want a little bit of a pick. Who right now is the, I want to see if your favorite right now, leaning into March Madness potentially in these next couple of weeks, and then a, a dark horse that we need to keep an eye on. So I had a, Gosh, the last time I picked this, I was literally on a show like two or three days ago, but I'm no longer picking Auburn because that's how uh, quickly things change. Um, so is this for the final four or for overall? You can give me a final four. You can give me an overall, whatever, whatever you think. Okay, I'll, I'll keep it with the final four because I know I have a really interesting pick in there, um, but I'm liking, uh, I'm liking Gonzaga now um, and I'm liking Kansas just because both of them have so much star power. And, and I think it's going to be hard for them to get eliminated with that star power, um, especially down low. Like no mid-major is going to be able to compete with, with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren in the post or, or uh, you know, what Kansas has with the season that Oche Baji is having. Uh, I do have Villanova uh, just because I just, I just trust Jay Wright. And I feel like they're playing their best ball of the season right now. Um, they're, they're on the rise and it's actually – a little bit how much, how much how much sickening it is for us to say that Villanova <laughs> it, it is a little bit uh and Gillespie, Gillespie's a man on a mission right now you can see it too he is he is um I'll save my sleeper pick uh I think Texas Tech's playing really good right now so I'll give them my uh my fourth pick and then my sleeper pick uh, is the Oregon Ducks so. Really? You think Oregon, they did show themselves very well the other night against Arizona, but you think they've got a real shot if they can get, because they're on the bubble right now pretty significantly as well. They are on the bubble. I only have them as an 11 seed uh, and have them going up against Ohio State and uh, and Villanova. So obviously that wouldn't work too well for what I just said, but uh, I think that if Oregon gets the right matchups, I mean, they've got a little bit of everything and they've got a coach that I think has shown that he can win games in March. I mean, he made that Dana Altman made that final four run a few years ago, but um, I don't know. There's just something about this Oregon team. I've sort of been following them all season long. They've got a shot blocker down low and in Folly Dante. Uh, they've got some wing players. They've got some, some guys that can play multiple positions. And I feel like, man, if they go on a little bit of a run, people aren't going to be expecting them this year. And, and sometimes that's, you know, the luck that you need without question. But I do want to go back to your Texas tech pick just for a quick second. Cause I, I watched that game against Texas all the entire game this past weekend. And you can see that they play with an extra edge when they're playing beard. And I feel like they feel like he really disrespected them. You could see Shannon on a couple plays. He was chirping at beard on when they were on one of the timeouts. But do you, do you see that they're really playing with a different intensity? right now because of pet beard leaving it seems like they are and it also seems like mark adams is just a good coach as uh, as chris beard was if not better because he's doing more with less and chris beard is doing less with more because realistically the talent that texas has they should probably be a one or a two seed right now i don't that's think that's a. Uh, I i mean if chris beard's that good of a coach and that team has as good of transfers that they have Texas is still struggling, uh, even if the NCAA has them as a four seed right now. But Texas Tech, you know, they brought in a good transfer in Kevin O'Banner, but I feel like besides that, they just have a bunch Oral of guys. Roberts, Kevin O'Banner. Yes, and, and he has the experience, so that's big time. Um, but it's just a bunch of, like, second options that are kind of coming together, and uh, they're clicking, and the defense is outstanding. They're starting to score the ball a little bit better. They're just – they're doing a little bit of everything. They almost remind me of Virginia a few years ago. Oh, I like that comparison a lot. I really like that, Matt. All right, Matt, before I let you go, I do – we got to talk Hall real quick before we uh, hop off here. Where do you have Seton Hall, and what are your expectations for them the rest of the way? Especially when we were actually on your show when we heard the news 
that the potentially Aiken might be done for the year with his concussion, which we thought was really perplexing. And honestly, the bigger news than actually the half of what took place against UConn. Well, if Seton Hall is without Bryce Aiken, which again, I think that's kind of what they have to be preparing for right now. I don't think that it would be smart to prepare as if Aiken is coming back unless they know something that we don't and that he's so close to returning, which doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, I'll put the magic number of the regular season at three. I think if they beat Georgetown and Butler, which you would think they should, and if they win at least one over Xavier or Creighton, that's safe enough. Uh, I think Pirates fans want to see all four because that would put Seton Hall in the position where they could maybe get back up to as high as an eight or a seven seed um, based off of those last four regular season games. And then get hot in the Big East tournament, I don't think a six seed is out of the question. There's no shot they go higher than a six seed. Uh, I mean, even if they rattled off seven or eight straight, I just don't think that'd be enough. Um, but I think they can move up to a seven and, and, yeah, six is the highest. But who knows? I mean, right now I think Seton Hall fans just want to – they're kind of rooting for the bare minimum because they want to make sure that these Pirates are in the in the tournament. But – if you're really hoping for a tournament run and you're being greedy, then you want a little bit more. Yeah, without question. And is, is are they realistically, is there still, if they end up flubbing one of these Butler Georgetown games with the two losses to Creighton and Xavier, that they're potentially on the outside looking in this year? Yes. I mean, I think of Seton Hall, the, the max amount of games they could lose uh, would be 12 probably. I think if they lose 11, that still means that they probably had at least one that you know one more good win whether it was in the Big East tournament or not or just enough wins overall but if they if they lose 12 or more then they're obviously if they, if they lose 13 I don't think they're getting it at all and 12 yeah. they're going to be right on that that edge where you're like okay I'm, I'm going into selection Sunday a little bit uh, a little bit nervous yeah without question Matt thank you as always for joining the final whistle sports podcast it's always great to have you on my man where can they check out your content my friend yeah, uh, we are at CBB Review on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, is our TikTok still up? I don't know. Hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been posted to in a while. Uh, and CBBReview.com. Well, without further ado, go check out College Basketball Review. Go like it. Go subscribe. Go do whatever it takes. Go re-instigate the TikTok. Bring it back for them. But, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's much appreciated. Everybody be on the lookout for more content. As always, I am your host, Blaine Spencer, signing off. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the sports.